Welcome to AC Chats, the podcast professional resource that aims to break down current research in augmentative and alternative communication and bridge the gap between research to practice by providing context to critical research, describing clinical applications, and directing SLPs to resources to learn more. I'm Beth Frick-Semmler. I'm a speech-language pathologist and researcher at Penn State in the RERC on AAC. Each podcast will provide insight into an area within the field of AAC through highlighting exciting new research or discussing areas more broadly. To continue your exploration of these topics, follow those links in the show notes to access additional resources and to also take advantage of free ASHA CEUs. Today, we will be discussing a recently published article in the AAC Journal. Uh, This study looked at the effect of transition to literacy AAC features on decoding and encoding skills with adults with Down syndrome. And we're super lucky to have one of the authors here today, uh, Christine Holyfield, uh, who is an associate professor of communication sciences and disorders and a speech language pathologist. Her work is focused on the development and evaluation of AAC technologies and instructional strategies to support individuals with developmental disabilities. So welcome, Christine. Thank you, Beth. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm so excited to jump into um, the questions. We have a couple broad questions, and then we'll be talking uh, more in depth about uh, the study that you conducted Uh, So we're really looking forward to uh, diving into the conversation. So can you tell me a little bit about why you started focusing on decoding and encoding in individuals with complex communication needs? Yeah, so I've been studying AAC for a while, and I've learned how important literacy, including decoding and encoding, are for people who use AAC. And I've also seen and uh, been lucky enough to be a part of, kind of during my time as a researcher, how technology in AAC can evolve. And a lot of progress has been made in terms of making AAC technology more supportive of language development for individuals with developmental disabilities and you know, why stop there? There's opportunities to support literacy as well, we think. So um, it just was sort of the next step in looking at AC technology growth. Absolutely. And it leads us to our next question perfectly, actually. Um, So why is literacy so important? Um, And as a follow-up, like how can literacy acquisition look different for specifically individuals with Down syndrome? Yeah, so literacy is important for everybody. Uh, For all of us, you know, we learn to read and then we read to learn. And I, I know speaking for myself as well as speaking for sort of broad research, you know, there's so much content that we acquire in our lives through reading. And so as a learning tool, it's critical. Uh, It's also critical as a participation tool. So it's tricky to demonstrate your knowledge in classrooms, for example, if you don't have functional literacy. 
It's tricky to get a job if you don't have functional literacy. And even it's becoming trickier and trickier to communicate with friends if you don't have functional literacy with so much happening over the internet or over our phones. So it's not to say that you can't live a rich, full life um, if you're a person who does not yet have functional literacy, but it is science of reading and what really creates a person who has fully functional literacy skills Language comprehension is a huge component of that. So as SLPs, we're really uniquely equipped to be supporting that language comprehension side of things. And then the piece on the other side is the word identification piece. And that's something we should know how to support too. And for someone who doesn't have functional speech, it's something where we should know how to adapt a curriculum or a lesson or an assessment to be able to evaluate and support literacy skills. Absolutely. Um, so I know that um, you gave a wonderful presentation at ASHA about how um, to incorporate literacy and thinking about all those different aspects because it is such a complex um, topic as well. Um, but in thinking about this study in particular, um, I think, could you start by giving a description of the transition to literacy feature on um, devices and talk about how this has been investigated so far, like the previous studies that you've done? Yeah, so it's been um, a while now that we started looking at features for literacy in AAC technology. And it started with sort of a simple support for single word recognition. And you'll hear this referred to as like the T12 sight word feature, the T12 single word recognition feature. And the idea is that um, in addition to having the voice output when making a selection of a photo or a uh, picture symbol, you also see the text, so the orthographic representation of the word appear. And there's sort of a smooth movement to draw your attention to it. There's luminance um, where it's sort of brighter against the background and then it stays and then it and then it goes away. And the idea with that feature is that we sort of learn to recognize words by pairing the word uh, from more of a phonological standpoint with it from an orthographic standpoint, as well as uh, the meaning behind it. And so this particular feature supports all of those things happening. And more recently, 55 years of age, we found that that feature just being enabled on an AAC device can support someone in building their single word recognition. So just by using the device and interacting with a researcher um, and seeing that modeled, uh, single word recognition has increased for the vast majority of participants in those studies. That's and re- Oh, go ahead, Beth. Oh, no, I was just going to um, um, just ask you about and thinking about how this is not replacing um, literacy intervention, just the fact that they're being exposed to this feature is is um, showing that benefit too, so. Yeah, so we definitely see any of these uh, features that support literacy as just kind of a bonus or an extra way to get 
uh, exposure to literacy supports, similar to, you know, creating AAC technologies that are more supportive of language development certainly aren't meant to replace high quality language intervention. And the same is true for literacy. Um, so whether it's a single word recognition feature or more more recently, we've been looking at models for decoding. Um, these are just one additional tool that can be in someone's toolbox to support uh, access to literacy and to provide someone with higher frequency modeling of a skill. That's awesome. So you gave a really great description of the sight word reading. And then um, would you mind providing a little bit of a description of the decoding feature as well that you're specifically looking at in this study? Of course. So many of the same features of mo movement to attract attention and luminance to attract attention are being applied, uh, but in a slightly different way. So when we are learning to just recognize a whole world word, it's sort of enough to recognize the word as a whole in relation to um, the sound of the word as a whole and its meaning. But when we are wanting to decode, uh, we have to do more than that. We have to be able to sound out every letter sound in a word and then put that all together to um, figure out what the word is. And while single word recognition is an important skill and can provide someone uh, who uses AEC, for instance, with really kind of quick access to um, a literacy skill that they can functionally use in their everyday life by recognizing words. Um, it doesn't make someone fully literate. Someone to be fully literate has to be able to sound out words that they don't know to figure out or that they don't automatically recognize to figure out what they are. And so with the decoding feature, the word pops up, but as after it remains kind of static on the screen, luminance is used so that only one letter at a time is illuminated. And as that letter is illuminated, the sound that corresponds to that letter is spoken through voice output. And then after the whole word is sounded out, it's spoken as a whole with the whole word illuminated. So for instance, it might, you might um, select the picture symbol or photo of a cat and it would go cat and then the word cat. And I realized that I oversimplified it a little bit because the one caveat to going letter by letter would be the case of two letters or multiple letters combining to make one sound. So in that case, those letters would be highlighted together and the sound would be spoken with them highlighted. So for example, if we were to change cat to chat, the C and the H would be illuminated together with the ch sound being provided. Wonderful. And you provided a great uh, description of it. Um, but for those who would like to see like a visual example of that, we we do have um, a summary of this article on the RERC website. Um, and it has the visuals of um, how the T2L um, feature looks on the device through each of the stages and also through the article as well, too. So. Um, so let's jump into the actual study. Um, 
what were the aims of the study that we are discussing today? Yeah, so this particular study included participants who were adults with Down syndrome who had limited speech. So some of them did have speech that they used, and sometimes they used it with a high level of frequency, but their intelligibility was um, low enough that it wasn't functional for them in a lot of contexts, such as communicating with people who don't know them as well, maybe out in the community. And so um, with those participants included, we were looking at how this T2L decoding feature could support them in decoding untaught single words, as well as whether any increases in learning to decode untaught words um, maintained over time, and whether or not any increases in learning to decode untaught single words generalize to encoding. And so decoding is the sounding out of words and encoding is the writing out of words. And the reason that we needed to look at untaught words, um, and this is the case anytime you're trying to truly test decoding um, or whether you're trying to truly teach decoding, you have to uh, reduce the possibility that someone has learned to recognize the words that you're teaching. So it's impossible to know exactly what is going on in someone's brain when they're reading a word, whether they're recognizing it or decoding it. But if you're teaching decoding and you're testing words that uh, you never taught as decodable words, it's more likely going to be the case that any gains you see are the result of true increases in the skill of decoding rather than increases in the skill of recognizing words. That makes a lot of sense. So um, my next question is, what did you find? But also within that, like, how did you go about doing this with the participants? Yeah, so first, uh, this study occurred during the COVID-19 pandemic. So this was a remote study, which was different than any of the previous single word studies that also um, that occurred prior to the pandemic. And um, it was sort of the only way that we could safely do intervention with a group of individuals who were at increased risk um, and do so without waiting uh, for years. <laughs> so um, we hopped on Zoom with the participants and when we were in the intervention side of things, so not testing, uh, we interacted with them around color photo representations of different words that included um, the letter sounds that we were um, wanting to sort of teach for encoding. So for instance, some of the words included digraphs like OI together, making the OI sound, um, or uh, OA together, making the O sound. So for instance, a photo of an individual maybe um, out for a hike might be the representation of Rome, the word Rome. And the participant would complete close phrases by selecting the photo um, 
as if it were their AAC device, but it was over Zoom. And that representation would appear sounding out, er, oh, mm, Rome. And um, so they were just getting those exposures during a semi-structured interaction with us where we were talking about, um, you know, our experiences with hiking, for instance, for the word Rome. Very cool. So um, what were your findings? Yeah, so we found that after time interacting with the AAC uh, device that contained the technology, all three participants made modest gains in their literacy skill, in their decoding of untaught words. So um, that's something that, you know, was not particularly surprising to us because we designed this feature for that exact reason, but it was meaningful to us because we did not include instruction of any kind in this study. And so it models on the technology, we can support the skill of decoding. And so gains were small for all of the participants, but they were present. So, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier in this episode, Beth, you talked about how, you know, we never intend for this to be someone's only access to supports for literacy. And so, you know, it might be something where it should be paired with formal, explicit, systematic, evidence-based instruction, and maybe it will just add that much more of a bump to the rate of acquisition or, um, you know, development of literacy. To that in two of the participants, only two of the participants um, knew the keyboard, and we were testing by having them type on the keyboard. But for both of them, um, their spelling or encoding increased slightly for the untaught words. And um, they didn't always go from spelling a word wrong to spelling it correctly, but they did sometimes go from spelling a word incorrectly to getting closer to spelling it correctly. So, um, you know, we used a measure called correct letter sequence to determine um the any changes in spelling in addition to just correct written and correct word spelling wise as well as improvement in correct letter sequence measure that's great and it's also so encouraging that um like uh an intervention that was this brief you see gains and thinking about how that could translate to like clinical practice and and just like some exciting opportunities of like this is a really cool and exciting thing um to to just have as like a base of of a jumping off place so we hope uh, so so what are your major way major takeaways from this study? You you mentioned it briefly, but just any other major takeaways from this study? Yeah, so I think, you know, a takeaway from the study is that um this is a feature that can support literacy skills it looks like at least for some adults with down syndrome. And one piece of the results that we actually haven't talked about but we also asked the participants and their families about 
their experience. And, um, you know, the participants reported feeling more confident in their reading after using the features and family members reported more often seeing their family member, you know, out in the community trying to sound out new words or feeling a little more comfortable doing that. And so um, I think that's an important takeaway from this work as well. And another important takeaway is just that there's still work to be done in figuring out exactly when we use this feature and how. So when any of the participants were interacting with me, I'm, you know, I'm an SLP. I'm happy to wait the uh, time it takes for a word to be sounded out and then spoken as a whole for them to interact. But of course, for an adult who's maybe going to work or going to meet someone new, we wouldn't want the AC device to be sounding out every word that they communicate before they communicate it. And so, um, or as they communicate it. And so that's something to keep in mind as well is like a lot of features in AAC, there's a time and a place for it. And that's going to really depend on the individual you're supporting, how they feel about it and what their goals are related to literacy. That's a great consideration of like when it is appropriate too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how do you think that clinicians can use the findings from this study in their clinical practice? So, I mean, I think the most basic way that clinicians can use the findings from this in their practice is to remember that if you're, if you have an adult with Down syndrome on your caseload and maybe they have only limited literacy skills, they should still have the opportunity to continue to advance those skills. And we saw that the participants in this study, you know, they had sort of limited literacy skills and were able, as you mentioned, Beth, in not a huge amount of time to make gains in that area. And I think there's, you know, there can be this myth that there's a window of opportunity for literacy learning and you either capitalize on that window or you don't. And I think even out, even on a broader level for individuals with Down syndrome, there's a, there's myths about, you know, in general, the skills of individuals with Down syndrome plateauing at a certain age and not being able to um, see gains. And the study would dispute that. And, you know, it's a small limited study, but at least for these participants, it wasn't too late to increase um, their literacy skills and they were all motivated to do so. And they all felt good about themselves after um, having seen some gains in their literacy. That's awesome. It's such a nice um, like takeaway of um, when you are um, invested in someone's success and like you are, you take the opportunity to try something new with them and don't let the, the misconceptions of, of it's too late or those kinds of things, like where we could be and like what we could consider as like, um, you know, just like how we, how we can be as SLPs and how we can continue to challenge those sorts of misconceptions as well too. So, 
All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Christine. I really appreciate it. Um, I think that this was such a great opportunity to talk through some really exciting new research. Um, is there any last piece that you'd like to chat about that we didn't get to to talk about or um, any next steps in terms of, of um, where we're taking this project next? So I think, you know, we just need to continue seeing how this feature looks for more people and in more context. So Christine, we really appreciate your time today. Um, we were wondering if you could um, just tell us a little bit about where you see this project going in the future and in the next steps in, in looking at this T2L feature. Yeah, so we plan to continue to evaluate the effects of the feature on reading and writing skills for individuals who use AAC. And we plan to do that with a wide age range and a range of diagnoses as well. And hopefully start to understand maybe exactly who might benefit most from the feature when and in what context or applied in what ways. So we're excited to continue the work. We also see this as a feature option getting integrated into you know, hopefully a large number of commercially available AAC technology options so that any AAC user or clinician or family interested in supporting, um, you know, as one extra layer of support for literacy development um, through this feature, having that option available to them within their AAC technology. That's great. Um, for this uh, article specifically, um, if you are listening to this podcast and, and want to read more or um, continue to look around within this area of literacy and AAC, um, we'd like to direct you to the show notes of the podcast um, where you'll find links to um, both the RERC website, which has a lot of um, places for you to explore, and then also the AAC Learning Center, um, which will have um, other opportunities for you to learn more about this area. Um, but I think that about wraps it up for today, Christine. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Beth, for this podcast. What a great resource for SLPs or anyone interested in learning more about AAC.